Before we get to our guest, I want to talk about our NOAA subscription. CD Media is not just a local news company. We're not just a military company. We're not even just a national company. CDM is a global news organization that has reporters from the Middle East to Eastern Europe to the Balkans to Asia to Latin America to the United States. Put us in your daily scan and get the news, tip of the spear news from around the world. I know that people don't like ads, however. They don't like pop-up ads on their phone. They don't like to see ads on the websites. But you know what? We have to make money. Seriously, we have to support ourselves, and that's one of the ways we do it. However, if you don't like ads, you can sign up for our NOAD subscription. And guess what? You get access to our dozen newspapers around the world, our dozen news organizations, and you get access to all this quality, high-quality content. So, so give us a few bucks, sign up for your NOAD subscription, and you'll get access to all of the sites with a block on the ads, and you'll be very happy. And now let's get to Welcome, our Welcome, guys. It's been uh, quite a while since our last Eurobytes, and we've probably chosen the best of times to be in the podcasting business. I mean, so much happening all the time, which is probably part of the reason why um, it, it's been for such a long time that all three of us made it into one uh, virtual room together. Um, probably... I mean, which topic do we want to start on? There's something to, to be picked there. Um, Todd, I, I've given a couple of topics a shot, and since you're the host of, um, why don't, don't you pick the first one for us to start with? So one would be the whole France and Macron and his mm -hmm. uh, criticism of the United States vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan, or actually saying, well, why don't we as Europe sometimes ask the question, what's in for us? So that would be one. The second one would be, and that's probably still quite a while ago, Seema Hershey and the whole pipeline business. Mm. Number three would be Germany's industrial suicide. And probably number four in general, the German and, and actual Western elite problem. So I think those are a couple of uh, topics we can sink our teeth into. So, um, Hi Well, I sure. I'll, I'll just start real quickly, uh, briefly on... I want to say that all our reporting on Ukraine and the war there has been spot on. We found out last week that Zelensky officially has skimmed at least 400 million from himself off the American aid. So that was verified completely. Uh, but regarding the Nord Stream 2 issue, we did interview Seymour Hirsch and uh, it was fascinating. We're going to do another one because he's digging more and this whole Blinken thing from what I am being told is going to blossom very nicely for our side. And hopefully he will be forced to resign or something as we need to start forcing these criminals in the Biden regime out of the White House. Uh, so that is a huge, huge, huge development. Uh, and that's being that Blinken was behind the 51 or 52 uh, intelligence operatives who came out and said the Hunter Biden laptop was false, which it obviously wasn't. Uh, regarding your first point with Macron, I think that the fact that he is now kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party is is important and um I, I think he couched it in that european needs europe needs to be more stronger against the us which i have no problem with but you know uh, enabling the chinese agenda is not a good thing so i'll leave it at that right so probably i play the ball straight and into fabian's mm -hmm. court and he will kick it straight over to okay. lucas why don't we start with the macron thing because yeah why don't we why don't a, a, a lot to unpack so Probably, again, quick reminder, what has he said? What's your take? Pass it on to Lucas, and then, then I'll give some thoughts to okay. that. And then back back into courts, uh, into Todd's court. Uh, yeah, over to you, Fabian. Okay, all right, thank you. 
Okay, so in a nutshell, um, Macron visited China and was a guest uh, of, of Xi Jinping along with um, uh, the uh, EU's uh, head of the commission, Ursula von der Leyen. I mean, the, the, you couldn't make this name up, right? I mean, I love, I love how the EU is portrayed by a person with that kind of a name. Anyways, he received stately honors. She didn't. So it was already... It, it, it reminded everyone who knew of the disaster of her visiting um, uh, President Erdogan in Turkey, where she had to sit on the couch. Well, the Chinese just took from took over from that playbook um, and basically showed what they thought of the EU. But here here's what Macron did. Macron basically said that um, Europe needs to be more autonomous and it needs to be it's not a vassal of the United States and um, it's going to have to be more sovereign um, and not follow the U.S. playbook regarding China. So I didn't give you a direct quote, but that's basically what he meant in a nutshell. Here's my take on it. My take on it is the following. Number one, in essence, what he's doing is he is very honest about French interests. The French always have um, tried to become or tried to play a European hegemon without having the real um, economic force to do it. Um, in, in, essence, in essence, what he's doing is he's, he, he's, he's making European politics with, with German money. Um, but he wants to uh, take that initial step and I think um, he sees the obvious weakness in the Biden uh, uh, White House that he now makes the step. Unfortunately, and for his disadvantage, is the way he did it was not very smart because he is now, I mean, he was in China. He made these statements amidst the time where the Chinese are more and more eyeballing towards Taiwan. And some could interpret this as some kind of an April Gillespie move of 1990, where she was the U.S. ambassador visiting Saddam Hussein, giving sort of a green light to invade Kuwait. And what, what, um, what Macron did seemed somewhat of a green light at least in the communications, it, that was not very smart. Nonetheless, um, my take on this whole thing is that kind of a rhetoric, that kind of a language that, um, you know, has neocons exploding. Saying, oh, well, grandpa fought in France. Um, you wouldn't have heard that around five to six years ago. But now with Biden's foreign policy discrediting the United States so much, you almost have the image of a sinking ship and, 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 and the rats are jumping off the ship before it's too late. And I just think that it seems like Macron is in that, is in that type of a thinking. I think it's a sad state for the transatlantic relationship, but it's a, uh, it's a logical step um, with regard to foreign policy. Um, do I approve of it? Well, my personal opinion is one thing. Um, I, I think it was stupid, but um, um, do I understand why he's doing it? Well, he's 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 now very open and honest about French and what he then tries to um, 
sort of expand his European interests, and he's just being he's ju he's ve being very blunt about it. So that would be my take, Lucas. What would be yours? Well, I think I have a slightly different take. Um, I wouldn't consider Macron's approach to this whole topic as to be this this critical or let's say anti yeah anti Euro Atlantic uh, partnership style, but. The main issue is that Macron doesn't see the bigger picture, I think. Macron is right, in my opinion, in assessing that the US and Europe have slightly different security interests with regard to China. Now, why is that? Um, the EU and the EU member countries are not directly threatened by any Chinese military expansion. Unlike the US, the US is bordering the Pacific Ocean. China is bordering the Pacific Ocean. Any type or any style of Chinese expansion automatically means that American, like pure American security interests are being um, regarded and are being threatened. Like take the US military bases all throughout the Pacific Ocean. Um, Macron simply does not um, consider this a valid take from the American side, I think. When, when he's considering this strategic autonomy or this third party-ism that Europe needs to opt for, he just ignores that fact. And finally enough, he also ignores the fact that France still has uh, military outposts around that whole area and that this used to be France's backyard as well. So I think Macron is actually not doing a good thing for either France, neither France nor the EU, the whole thing. But on the other side, um, I have to agree with Fabian when it comes to the assessment of the whole von der Leyen um, part of, the, of this visit. Now, um, it, it's kind of hard to take a, let's say, neutral take on this, or, let, or let's say to take a, a take on this that is both pro-American in the style that Germany and Europe has an interest in it being pro-American and pro-European at the same time. Now, what we see is that Europe is trying to be some kind of independent third-party player. Now, they're not going to make it happen, and you see that in Ukraine. Regardless of whether you like the American engagement in Ukraine or not, we have to face the fact that if it wasn't for American um, arms deliveries, for American um, money, if it wasn't for like the American pressure on the European NATO countries, the whole Ukraine thing would be over by now. Um, so it seems like Macron's just disregarding this completely. And that's my short take on this whole thing. Can I quickly ask you a question? Yeah, um, sure, sure. If it wasn't for, if it was, I mean, because you said if, if, if it wasn't for U.S. weapons, uh, this whole thing would be over. The question you could ask too is uh, throughout this whole Ukraine deal, if it wasn't for U.S. involvement, would it have even come thus far? I mean, oh, that's a question you could ask. Completely, completely. Uh, yeah, that's a different question, of right. course. Yeah, yeah, I'd pass this question out to Todd, actually. Well, I my point is, I think... Um, Everyone is operating in, in old paradigms. The paradigm of Europe, US, uh, Russia is no longer valid, in my opinion. The paradigm is our globalist psychopathic overlords who are forcing this war on the world. And the Biden regime is completely involved in enabling that. So I see this as... France becoming a vassal to the uh, global regime versus trying to stand up for European interests. So that is the danger that I see. Pro probably 
So my take, I mean, it, it is for me one of the most complex issues to, to wrap my head around. And a couple of things are simultaneously true. It's one of those constellations. So on the one hand, we kind of know Macron, he is very much a globalist creature. I mean, sort of, uh, we, we just need to look at his whole career to how he came out of nowhere and became very quickly the regime's darling and was well liked and also obviously very well involved with the whole WF crowd. So, so on the one hand, he's a globalist person. Then he speaks up on this particular issue as if if sovereignty suddenly meant something to him. But I think Fabian, you hinted um, the the delivery and the timing was bad. The basic thing, whether he meant it or not, is a justified issue, um, where he says, "Well, why should we, as Europe, always blindly follow the U.S. and its military?" intervention, we should consider that we do have own interests. Now, this is where the, the, the problem starts. When he says, as Europe, we've got own interests, I'm like, hmm. So the, the interesting thing about Germany, it still hasn't quite clued in that each different country has very different interests in that conflict. There is no such thing as the European, um, the European interest. So for instance, that whole war in Ukraine who are the winners, who are the losers of it? I mean, ultimately, one could make the argument the, the biggest losers are the Ukrainian people. Yes. Um, and then probably Russia, given their bad demographics, it's certainly not a war that will benefit Russia much either, but they won't be disastrously wounded by that either. But the one clear loser of this whole conflict as well, apart from the Ukrainian people, is Germany. So Germany, we've sort of due to the um, our army stores st has been have, have been looted like rockets that we were promised years ago. There's a new mid range anti aircraft missile. It has entirely bypassed the German Federal Armed Forces. It went straight back to Ukraine. We never got it. Boom. It went straight there. And then enti our entire depots of you name it, um, anti um, tank missiles, um, rocket propelled grenades, boom, it's, it's, it's all there. I don't even know. And our storage was never great to start with. So our army has been looted. Uh, we have lost a big export market. We have lost a crucial market of cheap oil. And yet we are kind of, and then German politicians reflex like criticized Macron. Terrible to even say such a thing. And again, two things can be right at once. I do not like sort of him cozying up to the Chinese. I do like him to criticize. And that's where thing, a lot of things get kind of conflated in, in this whole thing. So, and the, the interests, again, I can't highlight that enough, diverge so much. I wouldn't even be entirely sure what French France's big win or loss situation is. I haven't thought about as much, but the, diff, the interests of the polls are very different. The polls get to weaken an uh, historical arch nemesis. And I do understand the Polish position historically, why they want Russia always as weak as they can. The, and, and by the way, Poland, due to its better energy policies and getting propped up by the United States, will be one of the big there, That's a rational, I, that's rational, right? I mean, yeah, that, that's very and, rational. And that's and one of the only few European uh, positions that I can understand and, yeah, and, and so almost agree Poland, with. Poland, I get. But again, Germany that always thinks, oh, we all Europeans, we've got so much in common. I'm like, no, our interests and Poland, Poland's interests are very, very different interests. So let, let's not like, pretend like they're the... Yeah. 
I'd like to point out one thing, like, I don't want to interrupt you, but I think especially for the American viewership, the additional take that Eurobytes might provide here is the fact that um, the German-Polish relations have, have turned so bad or so sour that Poland is now building new nuclear power plants, knowing that Germany is completely against all this stuff. The Polish right-wing party that's in power uh, tries to push topics on the European agenda just to basically, pardon my French, piss off the Germans. Are after. they going to sell that power to Germany? Is that absolutely? Of course. They already, of course. They already yes. are selling some of their coal-fired power to us when yeah. wow. all our windmills and such aren't working. It's it's yeah. So so oh, I'm, I'm going to say what. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just want to make one a point of the big that. benefactors of this conflict. I think this conflict knows three winners. One of the winners is I wouldn't necessarily say the United States as such, because it remains to be seen. Certainly, the United States might be a winner in terms of se selling us liquefied national gas, the Norwegians. <laughs> Again, Seymour Hirsch had some thoughts on that, uh, one of the benefactors. But Poland, um, its army will, be, will become one of the strongest on the continent. And again, you see a lot of investment going to Poland, which is part due to Polish good policy. So that's homemade, and the Poles deserve merit for that. But um, also by being propped up by everybody who's got an interest in, in, in weakening Russia. So they are going to be one of the benefactors of that. But Fabian, over to you. No, I, I was just going to, I was going to agree with, um, with both of your points. Um, I completely see uh, Germany being the, the, um, the most afflicted by this conflict. And what I find so bizarre and what I find so almost aggravating is there's this notion among especially German politicians, European German parliamentarians that continually st state and stress this. Joe Biden is the most pro-European president there in the White House either ever or for a long time, <laughs> which 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 makes me question what do they mean by pro-European? pro-European establishment, pro-European, pro-EU, because he's he's obviously not pro-European in sense for the European peoples. I mean, I mean, if, 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 if you think about, if you believe what's, what, what Hirsch wrote, um, and I think there's a lot of uh, legitimacy. By the way, the narrative over here among politicians too is that Putin blew up Nord Stream because uh, he wanted to... Uh, sort of suppress uh, the Europeans. Is that, I, is that still the prevailing narrative? Oh, yeah. They, really? They, interesting they enough. Wow. Interesting enough. I mean, and you couldn't make it up. So even for the Germans, it seemed to have dawned once upon a time, well, that, that version isn't entirely plausible. So very quickly, and I'm not sure where that story came from. To, uh, Todd, you might give us some insight. The story surfaced that there was a Ukraine... Yeah. own sailing boat <laughs> that launched. No, 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 no. It was, it was, it was. What was it? Some, some kind of like Ukrainian nationalist that rented yeah. a sailing Sports boat vessel, in Rostock. Pro-Ukrainian forces. <laughs> Pro-Ukrainian forces, which means the you know the either the British Special Boat Service or Delta Force. But they were, not they were not government. <laughs> they were not government affiliated. But for some reason, they managed to get like four tons of C four explosives oh, yeah. on there. Like, exactly. like I, think if, I think if you managed to get 0. 0.4 grams of that 
I think the police and all the security services actually know who you are, uh, know where you are at all times. So four tons, good deal. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, if you see the pipeline, it was actually pressed into the the the, the ground by by just like the 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 sheer mass, and it was registered by seismic uh, devices in Sweden and such. So, but hey ho. Well, I mean, <laughs> So, but the difference to Todd, just to answer the question to you. So, so obviously, they're still pushing these these bizarre narratives that are either pushed by the New York Times or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you talk, I mean, if I if I talk to people here in military circles, um, especially and even the the just you know um, the normal people, um, the average Joe on the street or the average Hans here. <laughs> um, it, they don't believe it. They obviously don't believe it. Most people do think that um, that uh, an American conglomerate with the Norwegians or I mean, most people do believe the her story, but not in government circles, not in party circles. If I do talk to people who even work in the uh, Defense Department here, they actually believe these narratives. I think I think that's hilarious. And, um, and I mean, Fabian, so, so Hans Hans bag of donuts is, doesn't believe it, huh? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean that that is probably that might that might kind of help us segue into something else. Um, Fabian, you rightfully say they actually do believe it. I mean, the more clued in people are, the more they are insiders, the more they tell you these stories with a sincerity that that's all, almost adorable. I don't know quite. Um, what to do about it but, but um, christian i think i think and this could this could explain something to the american viewer especially germans there there seems to be this bizarre notion that even though we have the most neighbors in europe we seem to think we're an island and the way people think here especially in government circles is is some kind of an island mentality you mentioned lucas you mentioned the energy um um issue, uh, yeah. issue regarding the nuclear power plants but even among the parliamentary if you look at the makeup of parliaments and if you look up at the uh, recent elections in europe you can notice a trend there too and it's called the right wing and right wing populist parties are dominating elections the only place <laughs> The only place where that's not happening is in Germany. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see that this country in the middle of Europe is completely isolated and seems to ignore what's happening around it. I think this um, this seems to play deeply into the German national soul or something. It's like, you know, there's always talk about the, the Russian soul, how they are used to a big deal of suffering and stuff. I think for Germany, the this red thread that's going through all of their policies since 1945 is there needs to be an ulterior moral motive. Um, Germany, can, or the Germans, and especially German politicians, um, they're not behind some kind of big conspiracy where they're like, oh, um, we do all these things because we're going to profit from it or someone like um, let me explain that in a different way. They don't think that other people could be out there to get them 
they just think that everyone has good motives, that everyone's good natured. And if if Germany gets uh, basically, if the country gets kicked into the knee, oh yeah, that's probably an accident. Yeah, the, the Polish, they, they don't know better. You know, they, they, they go for coal power because they have so much coal. They go for nuclear power because they want to help us with their energy. Oh, the French sell us nuclear power because they're good friends. Um, Oh yeah, the Danish—they're—they're they're taking a stauncher stance on um, on refugees and on foreigners living in cities. And yeah, that's just because they—they they try to make it all better. Like Germany, for some reason, especially German politics, official German federal politics, seems to have huge issue with um, realizing that not everything follows an ulterior, an ulterior moral motive that not everything is designed um, in their favor. I think German policy fails when it comes to the fact that things are not made for Germany. Things are not made uh, to accommodate Germany. They just react, so they don't does, act. Does that have that kind of mass formation psychosis? Does that come, is, is that why Germany succumbed to the Nazi regime? Um, Frankly spoken, I think this is actually a consequence of re-education. I think this has only happened after World War II because mm -hmm. Germany was, or the German people were taught that there is something good. There is a morally positive motive. And now, mm -hmm. like, in, in Germany, it's, you still can't go out on the street and be like, um, the situation at hand in German bigger cities like Bremen, Berlin, also in the, the Ruhr area, et cetera, all the crime that's happening there. Um, you see the people. People are not being caught. So the police, they publish their pictures um, from like surveillance cameras or like you have uh, descriptions in like newspapers that are like, oh yeah, there's like a stabber on the loose and the people describe him with so-called Südländisches Erscheinungsbild, which means like something like a Southern style look, but this is not, not Cajun or not South American. Um, Südländisch always means uh, Turkish or Arab, Maghrebin and stuff. But it's no longer allowed to 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 say that. And what I don't understand, I think this is how how parties like AFD, for example, actually gain power or how they gain um, votes. Um, there's still some kind of Sprechverbot or like a talk, like there's a taboo. There are taboo topics. You you're not allowed. You're not supposed to talk about um, a migrant crime. You're not supposed to talk about how other countries. Um, do have different interests from Germany. You're not allowed to say that the EU parliament um, and EU parliamentarians from Germany do not really um, try to, to accommodate German desires, but that where the EU interests and German interests are actually not on the same page, that many people from Germany or like politicians and people who actually have the power to act, they're um, acting against Germany. And this is something that German media does not really report that much on because it's not supposed to happen because all people need to have ulterior moral motives after all. Mm. So there's, there's something interesting, Todd, that, that you try to tease out. And I'm going to go slightly further back in history. Lucas rightfully mm -hmm. pointed at the US-led re-education of West Germans, which kind of um, inflicted quite a number of potent narratives on us. I'll go mm -hmm. further back and I'm like, well, interesting enough, there are two currents in the German uh, folks soul and the German um, uh, um, collective uh, unconscious. And so one, one is uh, romanticism, which was a very potent 
um, current in, in German history and idealism. And um, so romanticism sort of shortly after, um, so don't, don't forget, um, so for American listeners or viewers, so Germany is Europe's delayed nation. So England as a nation is very, very old, like a thousand years. France is pretty old. Um, the United States is about 100 years older than modern Germany. And being the delayed, delayed nation, we were still uh, composed of fiefdoms, various kingdoms, and, and such until the 1870s. And even then, we were highly defederalized for good and for bad. And, and so, like, there was, which might explain why still these days Germans tend to see themselves as an island, even though we are so hyper connected to the world. And so, there was this current called Romanticism where in spite of industrialization, we still worship our forests and you've got tons of paintings. And, and that makes it very easy for pseudo-romantic narratives to gain hold, such as, oh, we can produce um, uh, energy by what the sun gives us, not this evil technology like nuclear powers. And then, and then the other one is idealism. And idealism is probably epitomized by, by people such as uh, Martin Luther, who's just like things were black and white and that's how ideally you do it. And this is how, it, but just because we think this is how it ideally, ideally it ought to be done, it should be that way. And that's how like this Anglo-Saxon pragmatism, interestingly epitomized by a guy of German descent, uh, Henry Kissinger, like realism. It's very hard for Germans to grasp because Kissinger said, you guys may want the world to be like, uh, in one of your idealized views, but it isn't like this. <laughs> like just because you talk about that vision of European interests, it doesn't mean that the Poles have vastly different and vastly different rational interests from you guys. And, and this, is, this is how it all takes hold. And then probably I might want to segue into our elites because I mean, as Americans, you guys have recently been subject to new elites yet that you couldn't have even fathomed giving an internship to a couple of years ago and i mean our elites not only are they highly romantic but they're increasingly just outright stupid and um, as epitomized by our uh, foreign minister annalena berbock and i mean she had two statements which were like the dumbest statement you could ever conceive a foreign minister to do so for instance Early on to the Russian, into the Russian crisis, she said, we are at war with Russia. <laughs> and she said, I want you to understand that. And we're like, no, we're neither in, in, in de facto nor de jure are we at war. You can't say that. And then she gets into shouting matches with foreign politicians because they disagree with her, with her views. And then that, 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 that's sort of, that kind of explains. Well, actually, the, the West is at war with Russia. You know, frankly, probably, I mean, but behind, the, I mean, that's what's happening, and it's driven by the Biden administration and that, Brussels. That is de facto the case. As a foreign <laughs> minister, I don't think right. even the I current agree. U.S. foreign minister. I'm like, your case is always like, keep the door open for conversation and don't say anything <clears throat> that makes things worse. That <clears throat> would have been the understatement in the past, and that we've got a foreign minister who, by her IQ and lack of subtlety, just, just. It just stuff just bubbles out of you out of her mouth. Mm -hmm. I mean that mm -hmm. that to me just shows a degeneration in elites, which which again is one of these other interesting uh, phenomena. 
Um, what I find what I find fascinating is that they actually take their idealism, what you mentioned, Christian, seriously. They actually believe that. Um, you know, I mean, take a look at Sweden. Sweden is to the outside known as a, uh, I don't know, a green paradise, a Greta Thunberg uh, um, tofu eating paradise. But when it comes to hardball politics, they are now diving deep into nuclear energy. Not only that, but they recently discovered um, rare minerals, rare earths in the north of Sweden. And guess what they're doing? They're going to actually extract all of that. So St. Greta came there and tried to protest for the poor <laughs> native population that lives there. Guess what they did? They said, get the hell out of here. We're going to dig these rare earth minerals because we need this. And this is in our interest. So I find that fascinating um, that this sort of idealism that the the elites in, in you would think you would think Sweden, right? You would think they would be totally on board with the way German elites, because German elites think like this. Oh, we do have some uh, gas. We do have some natural resources that we could take, but we're not going to because we don't believe in harming Mother Earth. These people actually are part of a new religion, the climate religion. Yes. Climate is God. Um, Satan is white males who drive cars and buy houses and have money. Um, Greta and all of her associates are saints. The, the, the climate protests are their mass and they do have martyrs. They're called people who glue themselves to the streets. I mean, we have these people here in every city mm -hmm. gluing themselves to the street in the belief that they're saving the climate. I find that hilarious, but it, they, they, they're just part of a new religion. And they're, this government that we have now worships this new religion. That's the funny thing. Well, the sad thing is that they actually take it serious. And all of the other countries in Europe around Germany really don't. They, they're part of the rhetoric. They may be part of somewhat of a lifestyle like that, but once push comes to shove, they're actually not. That's what I find so funny. I mean, you know, you look at, again, you look at Austria, Lucas country, the better version of Germany. Well, who's <laughs> leading Austria in the polls? The Freedom People's Party, FPÖ. Um, who won in Finland? Uh, it's it was, it was the Conservative Party and the True Finns. Who, who won the recent, Christian, you lived in the Netherlands, so please, you know, help me with their type of election, the, but it was the Finland yeah, yeah, the BBB, the Farmers Party, yes. So yeah. and and so, what was it? The Upper House election? I think so. I I I, I, need, I need to look up. And it's been a while since. The, the yeah. point I'm trying to make is that you know the Dutch farmers are angry and they're on the streets and they're fighting for their lives and the people are in support and in so many places you do see the population supporting that. What's interesting is that. You know, the, the German, well, the, the stereotype, what we say is the German Michael, the German Michael. He's always sleepy. The German, um, everything is taken from him and he still doesn't seem to realize it. And and, and the, the, the sort of the most um, bizarre thing about it is that, yes, the IFD, the AFD is now exceeding the Green Party in the polls. But they still don't manage to build any type of a candidate who would actually be able to uplift that party in the next parliamentary elections. That's the bizarre thing about it is that nobody's capitalizing on these tremendous mistakes that the German federal government is making. And they're making tons of mistakes. They, I mean, 
if you talk to people, if you do look at the polls, they're not very popular. Nobody trusts them. Olaf Scholz, who is he? Where is he? What is he even doing? He he said we're going to have a Zeitenwende, a sort of a turning point when it comes to defense policy. We're now one year later and nothing has happened. This is the, I mean, they actually decreased the defense budget. So it just, it seems to me like this, this, um, um, I, I had a conversation with uh, a friend on, on Friday. He said he actually believes the decline is just going to be so slow and it's just going to dawn upon the people when it's way too late. There's not going to be a big crash. Isn't, isn't that by design, in my opinion? Well, we could talk about this. I do think the way the Green Party is governing, what they're doing, what they're banning, what I mean, how they have become the establishment, the avant-garde is the establishment, that they're banning nuclear energy in, in the biggest energy crisis, that they're banning all kinds of motorized vehicles, that anything, everything they're doing, it almost seems like by design, they want us to be poor. I can't, I mean, I can't make this up. If, I, well, sometimes as uh, the famous French uh military man who I forget his name said sometimes you have to see what you actually see and what I see is a coordinated plan to destroy the western civilization and Europe is right there with it so I mean it as I said I'm I'm increasingly becoming more amenable to that vision I mean certainly certain parts of uh, culture Marxism do do have that trait in them I mean part of me wonders whether there hasn't been a a targeted campaign over the last couple of years to to deliberately weaken Decades. Germany. Uh, yeah. I mean, Germany in particular. I mean, if we, we go back to the whole euro crisis, um, where you know more and more um, uh, money was drained away from from Germany, where essentially uh, the the so called target two imbalance in what the countries owe to one another in Europe, it's sort of one of the under discussed features of the of the euro currency system so in quick in, in, in a nutshell if in the olden days germany exported more to italy than vice versa italy had to buy deutschmark to offset that balance these days obviously now that we've got the same currency that isn't so it's essentially right off sh uh, shop credit as you you would and i mean that balance is, has gone up with, with the years but right now our elites are doing a fantastic job at doing that themselves um i'm probably going to make I mean, obviously, we've been pretty bleak, and I will always make one point. They're, they're, so one thing I will make, obviously, a lot of folks the last couple of weeks, months, years have been down on America and always saying never bet against America. There are still a couple of fundamentals, just like your geographic positions. The access to raw materials are really good. I would make probably, in a way, the same case for Germany, even though I'm increasingly less optimistic. I'm like, there's one fundamental that is great about Germany, which is not necessarily our university system, but our vocational training system, the very practical way how we teach people um, to do things via apprenticeship. That is still second to none, which is why certain products um, probably can only be produced here um, what, before, as long as other countries still keep up that highly theorized scam known as universities. Um, but that only will ever stretch so far. I mean, so far the Germans are like, but we've got the system. I'm like, yeah, but you're draining the fundamentals. And I mean, the, the couple of things that, that did get me worried over the last 
couple of weeks sort of now, now that the nuclear power plants are switched off obviously coal <laughs> which makes up for it might be next who knows um of course it is yes yeah and of course and then one thing that's almost like if you read the german state media they were celebrating that volkswagen uh, is now opening a big battery factory in canada and they're like oh great yes and it's sustainable and it makes us less dependent on china i'm like yeah but the point is that the factory isn't here <laughs> you get <Yeah>. that <laughs> and so so increasingly much as i'm always like what makes germany strong is highly decentralized even though as everything in the western world much more centralized over the last couple of years the large parts of the educational system are still very practical um oriented and you know not in that whole university um but, but you can only rest on those laurels for so long before before things start to be, uh, become worrisome and um yeah so 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 it's in interesting times um any any other topic to uh, Todd, you would like us to drill into now that we've drawn the picture well, I, I would just say that um people need to re first of all there is optimism on both sides in the u.s there is a massive wave of resistance against this uh tyranny that is trying to be imposed so that gives me optimism. There are winds. We still have to pour the gas on the fire, and, and we're in the middle of the fight. I mean, we're we're in Normandy, and we just scaled the cliffs, but there's the whole German army ahead of us. I mean, that's how I see it. And uh, so I think Europe needs to realize that and and get back to the fundamentals of Western civilization. It's the only way to survive. Otherwise, you'll be swallowed by the matrix and not exist. And your population will be decimated. That's my thought. <clears throat> I mean, I guess in the way that uh, we are setting uh, up ourselves for de massive deindustrialization in Germany mm. without need, <laughs> one might very well make that argument of population collapse. I mean, the fundamentals aren't good. Um, you see it in in the Netherlands, where yeah, let's let's totally build up that land. I mean, it's very valuable land for for development, given how many people we're bringing in, but sort of like the new food crisis is around the horizon. So, so there's that probably a couple of either optimistic or not so optimistic thoughts from you. Well, the optimism is just to realize what's happening. And really, I mean, you, I mean, for abortion, vaccine deaths, uh, fentanyl, uh, food destruction of plants, you know, infrastructure destruction, war in Ukraine. Um, you know, go down the list, uh, H LGBT, transgender, all of it is to destroy our population and civilization. It, it's all coordinated and in my opinion, and I'll leave that alone. <clears throat> in my opinion, we're going to have the, the, um, the most dangerous, uh, you know, months that you can think of are ahead of us still. Um, because once you get into that election cycle in the U.S., the epicenter of where um, this battle is obviously going to be fought, um, because we both know that once, um, you know, if, 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 if Biden loses and he uh, he's if well, that that would be a fun podcast to do with you, Todd, because what would happen if the Democratic Party were to lose? Would they, they go to jail? Power, but, right? But would they leave power? Right? Um, Probably not. They will try not. That's to. the thing. That's the thing. It's like everything that they blame Trump for. Would they even go a step further? 
Would oh, they yeah. have a January 6th? It's all productive. It's all pro, 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 uh, what's the word? Projection. So the thing is that mm -hmm. I do believe that we're going to face some very dangerous months ahead because um, the U.S. is in an election cycle. There's changes. The Ukraine war is starting to drag on and the support of it is starting to slow down. Um, the Ukrainians are not winning. Uh, Germany's starting to deindustrialize. Inflation is high. People are getting mad. The coalition could at any moment here uh, break apart. That is a possibility too. So um, we are going, and, and here's the thing too, is that I think that regimes that face the uh, prospect of losing power are incredibly dangerous or make horrible decisions. I recently listened to a, an interview of, of Niall Ferguson on World War I just on Friday. This was an old interview. I think he did in 1998. And he said one of the reasons why the British entered World War I was because the, the liberal government at the time feared that they might lose the upcoming elections. So they said one way to stay in power would be to be involved in a war, which is just a, what a dumb mistake. It caused them their empire. Um, and so, yes, governments and war is a very dangerous prospect. Um, and with the way things are going in the United States, I'm sorry to say it, but I do think there's going to be some very violent months ahead. So, yes, you're in the fight, but um, they're going to put up a fight, too. Probably over to Lucas before I've got one final question at uh, Todd. Mm -hmm. There's actually nothing I can add to this. Like given the given the short uh, time span we've left for the podcast, I'd actually move over to Todd. So Todd, yeah. if for European listeners, if you were a betting man, and remember <laughs> we've once made a bet against the Ukraine war that mm -hmm. didn't go too well, but if you were a betting man, who's mm -hmm. going to be the president of the Democrat Party? Uh, the president's candidate? Uh, it'll be Biden. I mean, but he's just a figurehead. I mean, it's, it's Obama, Valerie Jarrett, Susan Rice, Soros. That, that's who's running the government. So uh, they just give Biden cards to tell him what to say and where to stand. And he turns around and shakes hands with the air. So, so you know, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, but that's what's going on. So, yes, they have gained this out. And, you know, the, uh, the enemy gets to shoot back. And we'll see what happens. So Kennedy doesn't have a shot. <laughs> I was at his, uh, I, I don't think they will let him, no. He's completely against, uh, you know, I agree. I was at his announcement. We were filming it live. Uh, we have dealt directly with his with children's health defense. And uh, I think that he, I agree with 60, 70% of what he has to say. Uh, you know, I don't agree with some of the climate stuff, but. I, I don't think they can let him because he's he's against the pharma medical industrial complex. And that cannot be allowed to stand because that's the whole future of depopulation, of control of I mean, so no, they can't let that happen. Probably tied into that something I would like to joke about if and as a final parting humorous note, I, I think there has been a bit of an experiment with international elites in terms of the type, type of leaders they experimented with. So one were the, the midwits like Angela Merkel and Macron. Problem with the midwits, every now and then they've got own thoughts. So mm -hmm. then when they went to full on morons like Justin Trudeau, problem is sometimes when he, he isn't well prepped, it, it just becomes apparent. 
and somebody like Annalena Baerbock is just like low IQ always shines through as well, but they found the ideal vessel, which is a half dead person. So which um, it was probably Fetterman, Senator Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah he's like, yes. that guy's just that guy's a oh, he's this committee. It is so my, my son is this video where he's opening this committee meeting. <laughs> My son is in college, you know, and he sent me a, a text a few months back, and he's like, "What? The Finnish prime minister is actually a hot chick who parties?" Anyway, but you know what? You know what? Um, considering Christmas theory, I can see, and uh, this is this has been my take. Uh, this has been my take last year. I remember Fabian asking me whether I'm completely, let's say it in a, in a modern term, whether I'm completely neurodivergent for thinking that. But I could see how Fetterman's can be president one day. Oh, completely. I mean, <laughs> this is a vegetable. He has to have a machine to talk, to communicate. You, you know, he can't. <laughs> what a it's brave a... and stunning man. What a brave and stunning man. <laughs> yeah. Stunning and brave. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> well, right, guys. Thanks if so nothing else, Biden was a good test balloon. <laughs> Pretty, Could you imagine the, 19, the, the, the 1970s Joe Biden actually was an interesting man. That, the yeah, 1980s the Joe Biden was still based, you would say. Uh, well, with that, <laughs> I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Talk to right. you soon. Take care, guys. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.